0: Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress.
1: It's a hard knock life for us. I won't do it to you this morning. Uh, Three weeks ago, some of you weren't with us, so let me just catch you up quickly. I normally don't do this, but I'm going to do it this week since we had a special guest last week. I hope you enjoyed Dr. LeVon Davis as he brought the word. Yeah, but let me catch you up. Three weeks ago, I showed you a picture of myself Uh, when I was in eighth grade. I weighed 89 pounds and I was this wrestling superstar. Not actually, I, I won't make you endure that picture again, but in that practice, a guy dropped me on my head. And gave me a concussion and because of that concussion I wandered home not really sure who I was or where I lived and I'm convinced that the reason that the enemy brings hard knocks into our life is for that sole purpose right there to rattle us at our core so that we don't know who we are. I mentioned two weeks ago that because of that, uh, we have to choose in which chair we're going to sit. I placed two chairs on this stage and said that you have to make a determination in your own life and heart that you are going to sit in the chair of sonship rather than the chair of self because that's what hard knocks do is they try to convince you to operate as the Lord of your own life rather than operating and living in the sonship that Jesus has birthed you in. And so, again, let me just say it once again. The attacks that the enemy brings against us are to shake us at our core. I recognize that hard knocks come in all shapes and sizes. We've stated that some uh, hard knocks are sin-inflicted. Because of the fallen condition of our world, we experience hard knocks. I've said that hard knocks take place because of what other people do to us. Some of you have no control over what other people have done to you. But I would submit to you this morning that most of us, most of the times, most of the time, the hard knocks that we experience are the result of our own stupid decisions. Okay, where my church go, they were a lot more honest in second service when I said that they were like, yeah, because we know we do this to ourselves. We play into the enemy's hands, which is to rattle us at our core so we don't know who we are, Um This perhaps may be one of the most important series that we've ever dealt with because as I examine churches, including our own, what I've discovered is that even though we're called the body of Christ, even though we're supposed to be in relationship with our Father, most churches feel a lot more like orphanages than they do the body of Christ. Simply because we don't know who we are, we we, we don't realize that we're loved, and so instead, we, are, we, are, we wander and we wonder and we walk around aimlessly. Here's what happens. We're cared for, but we're suspicious. I'm preaching right now. Y'all just looking at me. I can vividly remember not too long ago, several years ago, there was, there was this couple that was attending our church. They were pretty faithful. All of a sudden, they started missing. They missed a couple weeks in a row. And out of genuine care and concern, we reached out to them. And they quit our church because they said, we don't want anybody checking on us. They're cared for, but suspicious. That's what happens when you don't know who you are. We, we operate unsure of God, we're unsure of our Father, and ultimately we're unsure of ourselves. That, 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 that's why, in, uh this shouldn't shock you, uh, but... But it seems like there's this ramped up attack on identity right now. It's not new. It's nothing new. It's, a, it's, it, it's, from, it's from the very beginning. The enemy entered the garden, and he begins to attack us at the level of our identity. But it seems like at this moment, there's this ramped up attack. The confused are trying to, com- to, 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 per- to perpetuate confusion. So we don't know who we are. It's simply so that we will play into the enemy's hands. Listen, let me just help you this morning. If, if you don't know that you're not a dog, then when God calls you to something, you will never be able to uh, operate in the destiny and the plan and the purpose of, of what he has for you as a man or woman of God if you think you're a dog. All right? Uh, it, it's just the reality. If, if, if the enemy can get you to question whether or not God made a mistake in you, on you, he, he got everybody else right, but he made a mistake with me. If he can ever bring you to that place where you question, did God make a mistake with me? Then at that moment, he's got you rattled at your core and you'll never really be able to walk into the destinies and purposes of God because you're confused. Hard knocks are formed and fashioned for the sole purpose of shaking our understanding of who we are, so I'm here to speak very plainly and come against the diabolical attack of the enemy against you. I, I I I'm trying to put him on notice, but I'm also trying to put you on notice that I know who you are. You may not know who you are, but I know who you are. But before I can tell you who you are, I got to step back one moment and tell you who you're not. Just for a second, can I tell you who you're not? You're not an orphan. You're not a mistake. You're not overlooked. You're not forgotten, you're not a nobody, you are somebody in God's eyes and you, until you know who you're not, then you're going to struggle with who you are. And so what I want to do is, I, I, I wish this, was, this ought to be a simple task. I should be able to stand up here and from God's word be able to declare who you are but what I've come to realize is that you have to be willing to embrace this. Very literally, what I'm asking you to do this morning is to allow the word of God to not, you wrestle with it and let it wrestle with you until every misconception, where every, where every misbelief, where every question about your identity is settled and it's rooted in your heart that you know who you are. That's what we're about this, to do today. Because if you don't, hard knocks will come. And you won't respond correctly. You won't be able to weather them because you don't know who you are. So let me take you to the the Word, and then I'll get out of your way. And John, I want you to turn to John. I'm going to take you to a weird passage of Scripture. You're going to think it's weird anyway to talk about identity. I want you to notice what's happening here. In John chapter 13, Jesus stands up. This is Thursday in Jesus' last week of his life. In John chapter 13, beginning in verse 21, this is what happens. It says, after he had said this, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. And he testified, very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. And Simon Peter, Peter was always making trouble. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, you ask him what he means. I'm not going to ask him because I don't want to hear what he's got to say. He might answer me in a way I don't want him to answer. You ask him. Come on. You ask him. And so... This is what happens. He Leaning back against Jesus, he asked, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I give this piece of bread when I've dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread... Satan entered him. Okay, so here we are. We're on the Thursday of the last week of Jesus' life. There's a lot of things that happen. Uh, You would know this as the scene of the the Last Supper. Jesus calls a banquet. He brings all of his closest disciples into the room. He feeds them. At one moment in this this, uh, time together, we would know that he does this. He gives communion to them to remind them of the covenant that he's making with them. At one moment, Jesus strips off his outer garment puts a towel around himself, kneels down and washes their feet. This is an important scene. There's a lot going on. In fact, in this scene, Jesus deals with a young man by the name of Judas who was having an identity crisis, didn't know who he was. He was one of Jesus' closest followers, but he didn't know who he was. And so he plays into the hands of the enemy and he becomes a tool by which the religious folks in the, in, in the community come against Jesus and ultimately kill Jesus. And because there's so much going on in this account, we blow right through it and we miss it. We don't even recognize. To recognize the revelation of this passage, you've got to back up for a moment and you've got to come to grips with who's writing this book. We are in the book of John if your name is John in the room, you probably think this is the best book ever written. Okay, John. John is our tour guide. John is our eyewitness. John is historically accounting for what's taking place in the last days of Jesus' life, and, and, and he's writing about it. It is John. Touch your neighbor and say, John's writing this. Okay. But when John refers to himself, he describes himself like this the one that Jesus loved. Four other times in his account, four other moments in in the book of John, John talks about himself and describes himself as I am the disciple. I'm the one that Jesus loved. Uh, He he states it so often that now we've come to know John like this. He's the beloved. I think John went out to his t-shirt shop and got him a t-shirt that says, I'm the one. I think he probably had a business card laid it on the table said, I'm that disciple. I'm the one that Jesus loves. I think probably he had a, he had a bumper sticker on his, uh, his chariot. It was a GT model, had bags on it so he could lower it and bring it back up. This shiny wheels, and it said on the back, his license plate said, I'm the one. I'm the one that Jesus loves. John had come to a revelation that I'm the one. He, no other disciple had the audacity to ever say, I'm the one Jesus loved. Ne- ne- never once, never once. So, so maybe, so maybe John's just got an ego problem. Maybe he's all full of himself and he's trying to make a name for himself. So I'm the one. I need y'all to get this right. I am the one. Or perhaps he was taking a dig at the other disciples. You're not the ones he loves. I'm the one he loves. Or perhaps John has had a revelation that we need to grasp this morning that would change everything. That we are in fact the one Jesus loves. John was secure in this moment in how he saw Jesus. But John has a revelation now that he's not only just secure in how he saw Jesus now all of a sudden John has come to a conclusion that he's secure in. Now he knows how Jesus sees him. I would submit to you this morning that many of us who have raised our hands and asked Jesus to come into our heart need to have a revelation because we struggle with our identity because we never understand that not only do we have Jesus in our heart Jesus has us in his heart that changes everything so, so, some of us have we've uh, we've so identified with Paul. Paul was an, uh, was uh, uh, an apo- one of the apostles, and he and he he identifies himself like this. He says, "I am the chiefest of sinners." In other words, he'd gone to the t-shirt shop and gotten him a shirt that says, "I'm the worst sinner that ever sinned. I'm I, I'm the worst." And we have so identified with the apostle Paul, and we see ourselves as such a sinner that we never have this ability to identify with the apostle John, who said, "I." I am the one who Jesus loved. I am just asking you over the course of the next few weeks, maybe a month, would you just for a moment kick Paul to the curb and dwell on the fact that you are like John. You're the one. You are the one Jesus loves. If we would come to that conclusion, then we could walk by any mirror and we couldn't help ourselves. We would have to smile. Even, even when we look at the we would recognize that what we're looking at is a reflection of the one that Jesus loves. We, even if I don't like what I see when I look in the mirror, I come to the conclusion that Jesus loves what I'm seeing. It would force us to change our approach. We, even when people look down at us and they peer down their nose and they make fun of us, they don't applaud for us, they don't approve of us, it would ne- I, would, I can't help myself. I just have to smile because even though you may not like me, even though you may not applaud for me, maybe you don't think I'm all that. I can't help myself. I've got to smile because I recognize that I am the one Jesus loved. You don't have to approve of me. He approves of me. You don't have to accept me. He accepts me. I can look over my life and look at wasted moments and think I'm too far gone and i made too many mistakes, but i got to come to a recognition, a realization, a revelation that Jesus loves me. I'm the one that he loves. He hasn't forgotten me. And what I did, the mistakes I made, some of y'all made some severe mistakes in life, just like me. Some of us have been stupid. The only difference between your stupidity and my stupidity is I didn't get caught. But I came to tell you that all that's what you went through, that's not who you are. Who you are is the one Jesus Loved, I I I need you to touch your neighbor right now. I just want you to look him square in the eyes. I don't want you to just say this to him: You may not know it, but you're sitting to the, next to the one Jesus loves. Yeah, put them on notice. Put them on notice. You thought you were riding, you thought you were sitting next to the one you got in an argument with, but the one you got in the argument with is the one that Jesus loves, yeah. You thought the one that talked back to you was uh, some disrespectful little kid, but, but I'm the one that Jesus loves. You just don't understand who I am. I operate in humility, recognizing I didn't deserve it, and I didn't earn it, but I am the one Jesus loves. If we could ever understand that we are the one that Jesus loves, then it would change how we see ourselves and it would change how we treat ourselves. If you knew that Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords loves you, then you would be able to do this. You would be able to love others. Some of you can't love other people because you can't love yourself. And the reason you can't love yourself is because you don't understand that Jesus loves you. See I don't don't know where you grew up But I grew up in this church We used to have this thing I'm on date myself right now We used to have this thing Called the booster band The booster band Every Sunday morning The kids See y'all Some of y'all looking at me Like I'm crazy I just want you to know Who you're looking at this morning You are looking at the maestro Of the booster band If you gave me sandpaper blocks I know y'all don't know What that is But every little Every Sunday They would march the booster band up It was all the little kids in church And they would hand out These classroom instruments Sandpaper blocks Sticks, triangles, and kazoos And we would rock the, I'm I'm in the Lord's army. I'm flying. Oh, some of y'all don't know. Some of y'all don't know. Some of y'all don't know. But we sang a song in Booster Band when I was four, five, six, seven years old. That was the greatest truth we've ever been taught. It's still the greatest truth I've ever been taught in my entire, to this day, the greatest truth I've ever been taught. And it went like this. The little song went simply like this. Jesus loves me. This I know. What happened? Why have you forgotten? What's taken place in your life that's causing you now to be unable to recall the truth that you learned as a kid, that Jesus loves you? Have you been through so much tragedy that you've forgotten that he loves you? Have you been through so many relationships that you've forgotten that he loves you? Have you made so many bad mistakes and choices in life that you've lost the truth of the fact that Jesus loves you? Because if you knew that he loved you, you would live different. You would walk different, you would believe different, you would act different, you would talk different if you knew he loved you. If you knew that the one who spoke you into existence loves you and sees you as good just like you are, then there are no, there's nothing radical that needs to be done in my life other than this. I come to the conclusion, this is radical right here, I am complete in him. Our identity is firm when we walk in humility knowing that 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 he loves us i i, I want you to see what this truth did for john he's the, he's the guy we're looking at where we've kicked paul to the curb for a few weeks Let, let's focus on john what i recognize now now that i read it now that i understand is that john this this truth had an impact on john it impacted his ability to to live right it impacted his attitude it impacted his walk it impacts his steadfastness it even impacts his ability to difficulties, because some of y'all are struggling in difficulties right now and you think God's forgotten you. What you've forgotten is who you are. Yeah. See if you catch it. John chapter 19, we find that Jesus is in his last moments and because John knows who he is, he's positioned perfectly for Jesus and for others. John chapter 19, beginning in verse 25, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, His mother's sister Mary the wife of Clopas And Mary Magdalene And when Jesus saw his mother there Maybe I should have saved this for Mother's Day Next week's Mother's Day Let me help you survive some hard knocks Go get a card and flowers right now Alright I don't want you to die on my watch Jesus sees his mother there And 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 the disciple, whom he loved, standing nearby, and he said to her, Mama, here's your son. And to the disciple, here's your mother. Read. From that time on, this disciple took her into his Jesus is at the worst moment of his life. Jesus is now confined to making the last statements of his life. You want a good sermon? Series, go preach about the seven last statements of Jesus. This is one of them. He takes one of his last seven statements and his attention and his care and his concern is turned towards his mother. He knows she needs Help. And my question this morning is, where was Peter? Remember Peter? Jesus said this about Peter. Your name means rock. I can build my entire church on you, dude. You're so strong. You're so courageous. You're so steadfast. I can build my entire church on you. But when Jesus needed to give somebody his mother, Peter was nowhere to be found. I got another question. Where was James, the brother of Jesus? Nowhere to be found. And yet when Jesus is in the moment of his life where he needs somebody to stand up, to be counted, to know who they are, he looks up and standing there is a disciple who refuses to retreat, who refuses to be rattled at his core, who refuses to walk away. And it's the one that he loves. And if you don't think that has an implication in your life, if you could ever figure out that you're the one that Jesus loves, let me just put it another way. Jesus trusted John with his mother. My question to you this morning is this. What could Jesus trust you with if you knew that he loved you. What positions, what titles, what possessions could he trust you with? Because some of us are waiting on Jesus to send that stuff, and he doesn't because we haven't been proven to be trustworthy. And he knows that if he gave us position, we would use it for our own good. He knows if he gave us a title, we would abuse people with the title and the power that comes with that title. He knows that if he sends us possessions, we'd use it all on us instead of on the kingdom. But what could he trust you with? If you knew who you were, who could he trust you with if you knew that you're the one that he loves? I'm convinced that if we could get a church full of people that know that they're the one that Jesus loves, that he could trust us with the hopeless and the helpless. I'm convinced he could send us the vulnerable. I'm convinced he could send us the confused. I'm convinced that he could send us the addicted. I'm convinced he could send us the broken. I'm convinced he could send us the disappointed. I'm, I'm convinced he could send us people that are suicidal. I'm, I'm convinced he could send us all those kinds of people because he would be sure that we would handle them correctly. Because we know who we are. This is my conclusion. It's when we know who we are that we can be trusted with what matters to Jesus most. Just letting it simmer because he wants to trust you with some things, but you got to know who you are first. My question to you this morning is simply this Who are you today? Are you having an identity crisis? Uh, uh, Is your identity under attack? Are you unsure of your place in Jesus' heart? I want us to settle this today. You are the one he loves. You are the one he chooses. You are the one he sees. You are the one he knows. You are the one he hears. I I, I want that to get down into our spirit because this is what I've discovered. I discovered it while I was studying for this message weeks ago. I struggle to say this out loud. I'm the one Jesus loves. See, if I knew that I was loved like that by Jesus, then Jesus, I would come to this conclusion, even if you don't heal me, I don't question whether I'm loved. Jesus, if I'm walking through tragedy and and it doesn't seem like you're coming to my rescue, then, then I would still come to the same conclusion. You love me. If you never answer another prayer, It doesn't rattle who I am. Though you slay me, yet will I trust you. But in my own office, I wrote down this exercise for us because I'm asking God to get this down into our spirit. And in my own office, I recognized that I'm uncomfortable with this. Scenes of my childhood: at seventy-five pounds in seventh grade, not the strongest, not the biggest, picked last for the team. Lunch tables where nobody wants to sit with you. Promotions where you're passed over. People that have laughed and said your less thing. And what I discovered was that if it was hard for me to say. the one then it's probably hard for you to say it too Jesus you mean if I don't preach the best sermon that's ever been preached in the history of mankind I'm still the one you mean if I, I can't sing like they can sing I'm still the one mean if I've made mistake after mistake and been stupid more than I've been smart if I've injured my family members and my friends I'm the one that you love I think We need to say it out loud until we begin to believe it. So we're just going to practice. Would you say this with me? I know it's uncomfortable. I know some of you all try to pass it off. I heard people passing it off in second service. They would turn to somebody and say, you're the one. That's not what we're saying. I'm the one. It's me. Would you just say this out loud? I am the one that Jesus loves. Can you say it one more time? I am the one that Jesus loves. Would you allow that to get deep into our spirit this morning, Jesus? You love us. Would you stand with me? Just real quickly stand with me. Catherine's gonna sing this song as a proclamation. I want you to listen to the words. I want you to begin to sing it. And let the Holy Spirit penetrate all your confusion and all your struggle with knowing who you are. And I want you to see yourself like John, leaned up against the chest of Jesus.